Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Andre Great, my Senny Dieng. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? You don't have to ask, I'm absolutely boiling. Yep, yep, I am as well. Um, out of interest, I believe yesterday was your first home game at a Derby County this season. What time did you arrive at that game? I arrived four minutes past kickoff. <laughs> Unbelievable. For anyone who's not been following the podcast over the summer, Justin Peters revealed that he purposely turns up late to football matches. Why he does it, I have no idea, but we'll go on, we'll continue this across the course of the season to see how often it happens. And um, making his second tier debut today is Ant Waterson from the Sunderland podcast, The Roker Report. Ant, are you ready to step up to the plate on your first outing for the second tier? That's a big, that's a good big up, that isn't it? Yeah, I'll do my best, guys. Yeah, nice, <laughs> nice to be on. Thanks for having us very much. Cheers. Good to have you along. Welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, ladies and gentlemen. The second tier, thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to run through all the games in the championship from the past weekend. There have been some cracking results and uh, plenty to talk about here in the second tier. Uh, and then we'll talk about some of the news from the past few days and finish off with a little game of Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight right at the end. Um, so it is worth mentioning, we, may, we were meant to be joined on the show this week by Mike Duffy from the Watford podcast, Voices of the Vic, to talk about their 1-0 win against Burnley on Friday night. But unfortunately, he's had to pull out at the last minute. However, we did have time to record a quick summary of the game with him. So, Mike, how was the game? Yeah, it was a bit of a weird game, really. You know, we... We certainly weren't at our best. Burnley dominated possession, much like West Brom did when we played them. But Burnley didn't have any end product. They they had a lot of the ball, but just didn't do anything with it. And, you know, it, it certainly wasn't the performance which we were expecting. You know, we, we went from having a really good performance at home to Sheffield United to the complete polar opposite against West Bromwich Albion. And then we play at home against Burnley and we know what Vince and company's got them playing like. And like I say, they had a lot of the ball, but they just didn't do anything with it. It was what we did with it, with the little that we had with, with the possession. We were more clinical and at, at, at the end of the day, yes, we're not playing pretty football at the moment and we're not dominating games, but we're coming away with points still. You know, we, we have just come out of a free game run against three promotion candidates and come out with seven points. Like, it's ridiculous, and we're not the finished article yet. I'm expecting us to maybe get two or three more players in, and once we've done that, who knows what we're going to be like when we're the finished article. We've got a few more winnable games coming up, so, yeah, we'll see what happens, but exciting times for Watford fans, absolutely. Cheers, Mike. So, yeah, Justin, Burnley nearly snatched a point in the dying moments of this game, didn't they? They've won one, drawn one, lost one now. What have you made of their start to the season? I think, like I said, um, after their Luton result, it's a lot of lessons for Vincent Company, but he's, he's he's finding a lot of issues that he had at Anderlecht. Now, I'm not saying I'm a big, you know, big Belgium connoisseur, Belgian football connoisseur, but reading up about him, I know his Anderlecht teams had problems turning possession into chances and then turning that into goals. Um, his XG, I think, averaged in and around sort of one point something, which if you're an avid XG fan, you'll know that it's... It's okay, but it's not it's not fantastic. And if you're averaging that, it means you're not consistent enough in creating chances. And we're seeing that with this Burnley team, albeit it's still very early on in this process. Still got placed into integrate into the team. They still need a forward because Jay Rodriguez, Ashley Barnes. I like Jay Rodriguez, but Ashley Barnes leaves a lot to be desired. So 
there's still a lot that needs to happen for Burnley and they've got time to do it, but they do need a couple of more additions for them to be really competing above the, yeah, well, getting into the top six, essentially. Yeah, a near-perfect start for Watford, though, Justin, against Sheffield United, West Brom and Burnley as well. Rob Edwards has had a really good beginning to life at Vicarage Road, hasn't he? Yeah, it's, it's been very steady. I've been quietly impressed because I don't think Watford have got into a gear where they're even performing anywhere near their best. I think they're not necessarily grinding out results, but they're putting performances in um, because I don't think they've got the squad to suit the style of play that Rob Edwards, Rob Edwards wants to deploy yet. So for them to be picking up results, against some really good teams. Teams that are going to be up there this season as well, I think is really impressive and something that something that should be lauded. Okay, they're going to lose a couple of players Um uh, as as we'll get onto at some point, um, but they'll adapt. They'll they've got enough money now to bring in replacements. And um, yeah, as you say, it's been a solid start. And I think they were quite comfortable in this game. I thought, um, which is saying something because Burnley have got a lot of good players. Well, things could change very quickly, couldn't they? In the coming days, Emmanuel Dennis has moved to Forest. Ishmael Assar did play on Friday night, but he's reportedly off to Leeds. If Watford lose those two, Justin, and continue with the squads they've got now do they get promoted I wouldn't say so no um, I think it becomes more of a process because if you lose probably two of the division's best individual talents um, and they are good in that Watford team as well as we've seen if you lose two of the best individual talents in the championship your team's going to be so much weaker um, so I think obviously trying to bring in replacements. I know Keenan Davis is, is coming in to replace Dennis. It's a very good signing, um, albeit a slightly different player. Um, they, they do have to move quickly to at least be competitive to get into the top six because with Dennis and Sarr in the team, I think they can compete for the top two without them probably looking at pushing for a playoff place. Interesting. Let's go to the stadium of light. It was Sunderland against QPR. It finished 2-2 thanks to a last-minute goal by QPR goalkeeper, Senny Dieng. And when that went in, what were you thinking? Uh, well, it's Sunderland, so you, you don't <laughs> you expect the unexpected at Sunderland, to be honest. It's all sorts happened over the over the course of the 30 years I've been sporting, so nothing surprises anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, I was more rueful about the double save he made afterwards. Um, you know, he was he was tremendous, he was their best player. Um, Dieng, uh, I haven't actually seen him before live, obviously, because we've been in League One for the last five years. Um, but yeah, Trump, it was a great header. We, we should be defending that a lot better, though. You know, our goalkeeper probably should be catching the first cross, and then you know, when it comes in, you, you're not marking a goalkeeper, right? Because all you know, all 22 men are in the box, there's, there's one missed out. You can't man mark a goalkeeper with a goalkeeper, can you? So, we're, um, yeah, it went in absolutely gutted to be honest, because I thought we were brilliant for the first half. Um, and QPR, I thought were poor uh, up until the last five minutes when you know they scored, you know, an earliest chair scored a hell of a free kick. But after, before then, they, they were just they were toothless, and you know we've just thrown away two points. Yeah, definitely. It, well, it's the first goal by a goalkeeper in the championship since December two thousand and eight. But Justin, it genuinely was a brilliant header, wasn't it? Well, exactly. I think uh, Michael Beale said in his post-match presser that he asked Gavin Ward, the goalkeeping coach, if he's been working on it in training. And we, we've seen clips of, I mean, what do goalkeepers do? They they do like try and make a nuisance of themselves in the box to imitate, you know, goalkeepers being under pressure. But how many times does Dieng pull that off in training? Um, I, I really would like to know. We need a we need a one-on-one with Sonny Dieng to get to the bottom of it because he took that header like, a traditional number nine. Your centre halves can be a bit messy. But yeah, it's always a powered header. But that was a deft header into the corner. It was a beautiful, beautiful glancing header. And you know, I'm a big fan of uh, headed goals. And 
I would put that one up there. Uh, sorry to say, Ant, but I would, uh, I would no, put that fine. one up there. <laughs> it really it's fine. That would just spend five player. minutes going, oh, what a, what a beautiful header, what a wonderful <laughs> header there. Of a bloody goalkeeper. Damn. <laughs> but now you're right. Had it been, you know, like Ross Stewart at the other end and he'd scored a header like that, would have been, I'd have been loud enough for it. You know, it, was a, it, was a, it was a nice header. Yeah, well, it, it's been an unbeaten start to the season for your boys and to win two draws. Must be pretty happy with that, mustn't you? Yeah, I would I would have bit your hand off for five points of these uh, first three games. You know, we have got a hard start. You know, we've got Sheffield United as well on Wednesday. You know, and to go and beat and we probably should have should be sitting here with seven points. It is what it is. You know, we could very well have had nine points because currently took until the eighty fourth minute to score against us. So um you know, I'm I'm really chuffed because I, I honestly thought we would we would struggle because we haven't we haven't really got the the necessity bodies in at the minute. Um, if necessity is a word, I don't think it is. But we haven't got them bodies in yet. Um, you know, it, it proved on Wednesday night when we got beat off Chef Wed in the uh, in the cup that our squad depth is not good. So to have you know that bare eleven who were doing well is is great. And I would have, I would like I said I would have took your hand off for for five points. Um, but we do need to improve. We need more bodies in. We need more. We need a bit more quality in there. But yeah, it's a great start so far. It's just proven like Alex Neal's coaching ability with us has been second to none. He's gone like what, 18 games unbeaten now in the league. It's it's really good. Yeah, without a doubt. And um, what are Sunderland fans' expectations this season? Now we have got to remember you're a newly promoted side, but it is Sunderland, a massive club. So, <laughs> yeah. what do you think fans would constitute as a good season? Um, to be honest, personally, from my perspective, I'm happy just to have a boring season. I've not had one in the next end of 30 years I've supported them. You know, it's either, you know, it's either a season of absolute joy or horrible, horrible, down, depressing lows. So I would just like a nice 12th place consolidation finish, but we know that's not going to happen. So, um, yeah, I think as long as we can compete, which we've shown we can, um, you know, win more games than what we lose, have a good season. And then, you know, get the, you know, what we'll probably have to do is become what, what Brentford have done and, you know, become a selling club, to sell our best assets off to replenish that money, to get more quality in. But yeah, I'll, I'll take, give me 12th now and I'll, I'll bite your hand off, to be honest. I'll give us give us 15th, I'll, I'll bite your hand off, you know, but it'll either be where we, we were probably in the playoffs with the last game of the season, tune out up with a minute left and lose 3-2, or uh, it'll be uh, a relegation battle. But I, I, I think we've got enough in us for what I've seen in the first three games. You know, we've had three difficult, difficult teams to play against, you know, and established um, championship teams who we've, we've took all the way, you know, we beat one of them and should have won uh, yesterday. So I don't think there's anything to fear. Um, so I think we should be all right. Interesting. And thank you for now. We'll come back to you later to play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. In the meantime, Justin <laughs> and I are going to head around the grounds and we'll start with the team bottom of the championship. It's Norwich City. Who'd have predicted that at the start of the season? Eh? They lost 2-1 away at Hull. They've had a great start. Joining us now from the Hull podcast to Hull and back is Ant Northgreaves. Ant, what a result. It, it was an interesting one because obviously Norwich have still got a lot of Premier League quality players in the side and we expect them to obviously find their groove pretty soon because they've not started very well. But um, the first 10 minutes was very shaky. We could have been three down um, by the 10th minute or something like that. Uh, a couple of defensive errors. Uh, but we definitely grew into the game. We became definitely the stronger of the two sides throughout the game. Um, I think the, the new signings, Estepinion especially, is, is the perfect type of goal poacher that we've been waiting for. Um, we we defended resolutely. You know, it's another clean sheet, another win at home. Uh, we took the you know the, the the two chances were very scrappy, but we deserved them. 
Uh, Norwich's free kick was spectacular and not much you can really do about that. But, you know, if, if, if we're still not really playing like at, at full throttle, I don't think. I think we've got another couple of gears to go up. A few more lads to find some fitness. But considering we're top of the league seven points after three games and we've, we've still not seen the best of us, it's, it's very, very promising indeed. Absolutely. And Oscar S. Stupinan scored both of Hull's goals. And what have you made of him so far after he signed from Vitoria in the summer? He um, he seemed quite under he seemed quite unfit um, against Bristol City. He didn't really look up to scratch with the game. He was a few minutes behind everybody else. Um, Preston game similar. Him and Tete they're still trying to acclimatise to this league. Still trying to get used to the physicality and the new demands. But his goal scoring record in his career is very impressive. I think it's seventy five and two hundred before he came to us. So you know it's not that for a striker. It's quite a good record. Um, then today was just you know we saw a bit more of a an, an energetic Estupinian and he was. He was there pouncing. He was uh, on any chance that he had. He his perseverance was top notch. You know, his first goal was reward for just literally not giving up on the ball and and being a thorn in Norwich's back four. And if he can play like that throughout the season and pick us up these, you know, quite scrappy goals throughout the year, it's something that we haven't had in the last few years. So it's it's something different, something um, that we can definitely build on. And then if other people like Tete can get on the goal sheet, then we'll be quite a decent side. And of course, Ants, Hull have been one of the busiest clubs in the summer so far. Are you expecting any more signings before the transfer window closes? We have. We've been very busy. Um, Adjin did an evening with the fans and promised us at least 8 to 10 signings. It looks like it's going to probably be about 12 to 13. Uh, And Obviously, we lost KLP, which is a big loss, and George Honeyman. uh, Jacob Greaves' situation at the minute isn't ideal, but... Um, the the players we brought in are in, you know most of them have got international experience, um, so it's it's automatically upgrading the caliber of player that we've had. Um, I think we're expecting another three or four. I think we've got um, Ryan Woods to confirm from Birmingham, um, Dimitri Pelkas from Fenerbahce is still to come in. Um, there's a there's an unnamed Premier League number ten that was supposedly after as well, and I'd like to see us get another centre half really. Um, you know, just in case there was an injury, we, we do seem a little bit thin, but it, it's it's the standard of the squad has improved significantly, and, and it is what we needed because we had a League One standard squad for the last few years. It didn't have much investment, and uh, at the minute, it's just so exciting to see where this squad can go and um, and what they can achieve. Cheers, Ants. Justin, a brilliant three points for the Tigers. It really was. I know they had to ride their luck at times, especially in the first 25 minutes, but as soon as they got that first goal, they looked quite comfortable. And um, it doesn't matter how goals come. I know, again, they got quite fortunate with the, the ricochets for a Stupinan, but um, they, they, they they pressed and they hurried. And Arvaladze has shown a real um, endeavour to adapt his teams to how the opposition are going to play and obviously they, they spent a large time about the ball here he adapted the team and the system to to, to cope with that and he, they, they tactically I wouldn't say they outwitted Norwich but they were ahead of Norwich and Norwich struggled after that and you know you take away that stunning free kick um, from, from Nunez who were quite comfortable in that second half for me well, it is worth mentioning Norwich really should have got a point. Aaron Ramsey, not that one, missed an absolute sitter late on. Um, but you're not completely wrong, Justin. Norwich didn't really offer much else. The first goal was very funny for Hull, wasn't it? Max Aaron's booting the ball into Omar Bomadelli, and that left a Stupinan with a gift. But he looked really promising here, didn't he, Justin? And gave us a flavour of what's possibly to come. 
Yeah, exactly. They weren't exactly uh, sexy finishes or anything, but what he was, he was alive, he was quick, he reacted sharper than any of the Norwich defenders did, and that's all you can ask of a number nine, and that's a really good indication of a good forward. If he was reacting slow to those, you know, loose balls in the area, you know, have you got your money's worth, essentially, but, you know, he reacted quickly and he, and he put the ball in the back of the net, and that's all you can ask for from a forward, and that's all you can ask for from a team is putting the ball in the back of the net, which is something that Hull did in this game, and Norwich didn't. It's really it's that simple. It really is that simple. I'm really excited to see more of a Stupin and the goals he scored, as you say, weren't exactly from the Harry Kane book of finishing, but he's in those areas and sniffing out goals that otherwise would have gone amiss last season for Hull, wouldn't they? Um mm. Because they did lack that clinical goal scorer last season. It's it's a bit of a difference to when they had Tom Eves playing up front last season. Mm. No disrespect to him. But he's had three games now. Hopefully the first two were kind of feelers to help him get to grips with the league. And when he keeps going, he could be a really, really handy player for Hull, couldn't he? And Hull just second in the table, Justin, which is fantastic to see, isn't it? After they've been one of the busiest clubs in the summer. Norwich City, though, they're at the other end of the table. One point from their first three games, rock bottom of the championship. Who'd have thought that at the start of the season? Eh? Um, the thing is, Justin, their opening three games as well have been against Cardiff, Wigan and Hull. No disrespect to those sides, but Norwich have had the easiest start out of the six teams. Many are expecting to be fighting for promotion and the bottom of the table yeah it's uh, it's quite frightening isn't it if you look at Watford start for example or West Broms or even Middlesbrough's it's it's been a, a much easier uh, ride for Norwich just because of the, the the quality of squads or depth of squads they've come up against but you're quite right yeah it, it's been it's been a really poor start from Norwich they've won one league game since January and you start to question whether looks on their side, obviously with the ricochets falling to a stupid and the way they did. Is it look or is it just that lack of sharpness that a winning mentality breeds? They haven't had that. It's a psychological battle now, I think, for Norwich. And I know they did create chances. And as I say, the first 25 minutes, Matt Ingram was a very busy boy. But as soon as Hall scored, like Wigan did last week, they were very, very comfortable. Um Okay, there was a there was a bit of a flurry towards the end. There always is, especially in the heat that we had yesterday. Teams were going to drop off and drop back, but Norwich, for me, they're just lacking that mentality to be able to grind, grind into a game and 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 maybe do some of the dirty stuff. You know, and yeah, I'm missing a bit of luck, but at the same time, football's all about making your own luck. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but those ricochets, Stupinan was quickest to react. Norwich weren't, and he punished them. Well, for me, it's the manner in which they're playing because they dominate possession and they look threatening, but they don't really do much with it because Timo Puki is so isolated up front. You've got one of the best finishers the championship has ever seen and he's not getting any chances, really. The mm. other attackers aren't offering much at all. It's really, really toothless from Norwich so far and you wouldn't have seen this under Daniel Farker for example would you Marcelino Nunes has looked dangerous scored a wonderful free kick but that's been the only positive for Norwich so far and serious questions have to be asked of Dean Smith if this continues I think questions may even be getting asked right now about him but the longer this goes on the more pressure he's going to be under because right now you've got to say he's probably the most under pressure manager in the whole league isn't he Blackburn they've won again they beat West Brom 2-1. John Dahl Thomason's boys just can't be stopped, Justin. 
I know it's it's it's, it's an amazing um, amazing run of form that they're in now. If you look at how the season fizzled out last season as well under Tony Mowbray, that can that can eat in. I was just mentioned with Norwich about the winning mentality that they had. Blackburn didn't have that. Obviously, they needed a fresh start, and they had that under Thomason. But also, you know, pre-season, it wasn't say I wouldn't say it was disrupted, but Thomason came in relatively late, came in towards the end of June, um, and I criticised the amount of time it took to appoint him or, or to find a successor to Mowbray because other teams were it felt like they were ahead of them. But but fair play to him, they, they're grinding out games. Yes, they're not creating as many chances as other sides, but they're grinding out games. They're taking the chances now, and that's giving them a really good footing for the rest of the season. Um, and I do expect them to improve their squad between now and the end of the transfer window. So presumably things can only get better for Blackburn. I'm not sure if they'll only get better considering they've won three out of three games, <laughs> Justin, because that would be pretty miraculous. But um, yeah, th- this was a, a strange game, really. But it's been kind of the pattern of all Blackburn's games so far where they haven't had many shots. They've just been extraordinarily clinical. And that was the same again. Bren Barrett Diaz's goal was very well taken, in fairness. And he is... Ben Brereton Diaz again, ladies and gentlemen. I can assure you of that. It's not Ben Brereton. It's Ben Brereton Diaz. Um, but yeah, you can't take anything away from how they've done so far. I mean, three out of three, it, you've got to take your hat off to it. I suppose the question is, Justin, can they keep it up? <laughs> um, well, they can't win every game this season. I'll say that. I'm, I'm, you know, just to just to avoid my mentions getting absolutely peppered. Uh, I, I do think, you know, as as it, as is always the case, these things will even out. If Blackburn don't start to create chances, um, it will catch up with them. They will start to draw games and eventually start to lose games. Um, that's just how the football formula works. Um, but as I say, if Blackburn do improve their side, they do bring a couple of more additions in, and obviously, if they keep hold of Ben Barrett and Diaz. He's on fire at the moment. Um, the shape and the formation seems to be working, especially defensively. I think that's the main thing here is Blackburn is still defensively very good. I know they conceded probably more chances in this game um, than they have done in, in previous games, but they still stood firm. Um, so uh, can they maintain it? I'll say no at the, this point, but it's not a criticism. It's it's a very difficult thing to do, especially, especially when you set up very high expectations for yourself early on in the season. Yeah, you're spot on, Justin. So far, they've had the second fewest shots in the league out of all the teams who have played two ga- uh, three games, considering some have only played two so far. Um, and they've got the lowest expected goals attack-wise. Now, we have seen this before, haven't we? I remember a few seasons ago now when Charlton were in the division and they started brilliantly in terms of results, but they were winning games by just being extremely clinical. Reading were a, another example from a couple of seasons ago. They were extremely clinical and they fall off. If Blackburn were still were creating loads of chances per game, I'd think to myself, okay, John Dahl Thomason has got a formula here. He knows what he's doing with this team. But because it is just them putting away the few chances they have in a game, you can't keep doing that across the course of the season. You can't um, have a goal conversion rate of more than a third of your shots going in and expect um, that to keep happening over the season. So I'll be surprised if Blackburn are still up there. I think it is just a green patch they're going through right now. But you've got to praise Thomason for the results so far because new manager, new league, it's got to be applauded. Um, West Brom, Justin, may count themselves a bit unlucky here because they did have quite a few chances in this game. Um, But... That's just West Brom so far, isn't it? They don't put away their chances. 
it it does highlight the need for a forward. Um, unfortunately, it's I know DK's injuries. You can't really plan for it, but as I say, West Brom are, are creating a really good amount of chances, really good amount of good goal scoring chances as well, and they're not putting those away. Again, it seems to be a little bit of a um, a similar situation to last season, but I, I do think they are creating much better chances than they were at this point. At uh, this point now, than they were last season. It's just about finding the right forward who's going to be clinical. This stage in the window, it's a very difficult thing to do, but there are a couple of promising youngsters available for loan. Liam Delap, for example, at Manchester City is very sought after. You know, if you could convince Manchester City to part with him, that that would be worth the the loan fee, just because again, he's a, he's a very clinical forward. He's shown that at youth level, needs that chance. Um, but only Steve Bruce will have the answer for that. Um, and he has got he has got goals out of players before. If you look at Tammy Abraham, his form at Aston Villa under Steve Bruce was. Was, was quite promising so yeah there's there's a lot of room for improvement but it's not doom and gloom yet for West Brom I feel sorry for Jed Wallace because he really should be double <laughs> figure assists now yeah, after three games <laughs> it's uh, quite remarkable really Rotherham 4 Reading nil. a terrible score line for Reading but it's a lot easier to explain when you mention that Joe Lumley had probably the worst 45 minutes I've ever seen from a goalkeeper I mean David De Gea tried his best on Saturday evening but believe it or not this was worse the first one fine can't be blamed too much for that one the second the striker scored from the narrowest of angles and Lumley has just let it go straight past him the third one is one of the worst mistakes you'll ever see from a goalkeeper it's gone for his legs the fourth one he's been caught in no man's land and he could. There was another one as well, yeah, where he, he got caught out again. So it could have very well been five. Um, I felt so sorry for him, but at the end of the day, when Reading signed him, I thought it was a strange move, Justin. He wasn't great at QPR. He wasn't great at Middlesbrough. And if I'm being completely blunt about it, I'm surprised he still plays at Championship level. In fact, I'm amazed he still plays at Championship level. I feel really bad for digging him out, but. He's made so many mistakes over a number of seasons now and letting so many goals that a better keeper would save. I just can't believe he's a regular goalkeeper in the second tier. Yeah. Um I, I, like you, I don't I don't want to dig him out. It was a it was a terrible performance and, and Paul Lintz, to his credit, defended defended Lumblin in his in his post match presser. Um but you are right in, in what you're saying. Perhaps Perhaps he's a confidence keeper because he does pull off some very good saves at times. I mean, you do expect a goalkeeper to do that. Um, and there's been, well, you have QPR, Middlesbrough and now Reading. You know, three championship clubs have seen something in him. So he's clearly clearly a good goalkeeper, trusted by goalkeeping coaches. But there are these moments um, that really let him down and you can't have them at championship level, um, which is probably why perhaps a step down a division where you don't get this sort of exposure or criticism on a weekly basis is might be the best move for him if his next move comes about. Um, but if I was Reading, I would certainly be exploring the market. I didn't. Th- I, I thought letting Southwood go was a mistake. I know he had his moments last season, but I thought having him as the number one was a better route um, this season than than going for Joe Lumley, unfortunately. Yeah, we can't really comment on the game much more from a Reading perspective can we because it was just Lumley having the worst half imaginable Mm. and that was about it really but two losses and a win for Reading so far this season let's give some praise to Rotherham 
Justin. They got a lot of help from Mr Lumley, but a 4-0 win for a side we were worried about going forwards shouldn't be sniffed at. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Connor Washington's finish where he squoes it in between Lumley and the post. It was Squoze a ferocious it. finish. <laughs> Squoze it? Is that a word, right? Squeezed it. Squeezed it? Squoze it? Past tense? I Squoze it is definitely it's not a word. word. Okay, he got it in a very narrow um, a very narrow space between Lumley and the post. Ferocious finish, but his movement, his movement, I think, was was especially especially effective because if you look at the goals that Reading did concede or the amount of chances Rodham created, it was done by Washington spreading um, the defence and making those those channel runs. Um, and, and Reading really could not cope in that first half. And obviously the damage was done, so you can only really assess the first half. And obviously it was a very professional job in the second half to the point where Paul Lintz lauded a clean sheet in the second half, which is very Sunday league, by the way. Um, so yeah, you've got to praise, I've, I've got to praise Washington because I wasn't enamoured by signing, I wasn't excited at all, but in this game especially, he made Reading's defence look Sunday league. Yeah, he definitely squoes the best out of oh, come performance, on. didn't he? Um, after the game, Rotherham boss Paul Warren said he played with a team of Smurfs. He was commenting on how Paul Ince said his team were bullied by Rotherham and Warren says that's something good for the little guys. Don't really I still don't understand. It. No, mm. I, I still don't really understand what he was trying to say there. But without a doubt, a brilliant win for Rotherham, especially against a fellow relegation contender in quotation marks, considering what many people have expected of both these sides this summer. Um, and it may end up being a really, really big three points for them. So, yeah, got to take your hats off to Paul Warren and their team of Smurfs. Right, Justin, let's have a quick break. After that, we'll talk about Brad Potts and that goal. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Hey, Justin's making me laugh, ladies and gentlemen, because he's just pulled a bizarre face while drinking some water. I don't really know what he was going what he's going for then. A wonder goal from Brad Potts saw Preston win 1-0 away at Luton. Justin, people are going to get sick of us going on about this because we keep talking about goal of the season contenders, even though we're only three games in. But it's genuinely been ridiculous, the standard of goals we've had so far, haven't we? In Thursday's episode, I said Ishmael Assar's goal was the best I've ever seen since we started this podcast. And it will take something unbelievable to top it. It's happened two days later. This goal <laughs> is astonishing. First of all, the height to get up there to volley it is just insane. Most people would go with your head. No, Brad Potts has decided, I'm going to volley this ball that's way too high for any <laughs> normal man to get his foot up to. And he, when he connects with it, he's the same level as Amari Bell's head. So for him to even get a foot on it is impressive enough. For him to then connect with it, as sweetly as he has done, is just... Wow. It's amazing enough that he's not just wedded it into row Z. It's, it's truly remarkable. The question is, Justin, is it better than Sars' goal for you? <laughs> yeah, of course it is. It oh, is. Without a shadow of doubt, Sars' goal is a tapping compared to that. Um, <laughs> and I know Sars is 50, 60 yards out, but he had a much easier task technique-wise of guarding that ball into the goal than Brad Potts did. 
Um, I would go as as far as to say Brad Potts's goal was probably one of the best I've seen in cha- in the championship. Um, and again, it just comes down to technique to meet it on the volley like that. Robbie Brady's cross is near perfection, probably a little bit too high. So you're expecting him to head it. So Brad, for Brad Potts to have the audacity to go, I'm going to scissor volley this, and I'm going to be in the air at the same time. It's just outrageous, egotistical look at my ability you peasants sort of thing it is unreal <laughs> i've got no words for it i know people have said it should be up for the push gas award but i genuinely think it should be up for the push gas award um because i'm just astonished by it it it, it will make those well i mean they're not going to be those anymore but the you know the vcrs the video tapes with the big highlight goals on um stuff like that it'll be on one of those and it would be something that generations watch for years to come it should be anyway it should be um, when you think of best goals ever at championship level, I'm thinking John McGinn against Chef Wednesday, Neves against Derby. This is up there better. for me. You think it's, it's better, better than, than them, do you? I do. I really, really do. I, uh, yeah, no, without a shadow of a doubt. I don't. I mean, the Neves one volley drops. He, he, he guides it in. It's a very tidy volley. John McGinn, he puts his foot through it. Brad Potts has to be in the air. He has to get his volley right. He's got to scissor it. And as well as that, he's got to, he's, you know, he's at a relatively awkward angle to get it across the keeper as well and get, and generate power. I, I don't think you'll see a better volley than that in this, in this division, in any division. I'll be honest with you. I think it's absolutely top draw. I can't believe you've just said that John McGinn's volley was just him putting his foot through it. That's they lost that game as well. So. Whatever. Um, but th- this is, yeah, it's, it's one of the best goals I've ever seen at championship level, without a doubt. Uh, Preston are the only team not to concede yet this season and are the 10th team in championship history not to concede a goal in their opening three games. That's possibly come at the detriment of them going forwards, though, Justin. That Potts Wonder goal is the only goal they've scored so far this season. So definitely something for uh, Ryan Lowe's side to work on, um, even though their defensive record has been so impressive so far. Luton have had a sticky start to the season, haven't they? Two draws and a loss now. What are you thinking with them, Justin? I just I don't think they've just quite got into gear yet. Um, I think if you look at the Birmingham game as an example, they were unfortunate. I say unfortunate, they missed a quite a few chances. The Burnley game, they managed the game very well. They they limited Burnley and it took a, a, Josh, a very tidy finish from Josh Brownhill. This one, I think, again, they, they had a, a good amount of chances. And then when Preston go 1-0 up, they make it really, really difficult for Luton. Um, and I really do think the Brad Potts goal actually overshadows what was a very good tactical performance from Preston. Um, and I think that's what it was. I think that's what uh, has won Preston in the game is, is the fact that the Luton just struggled to, to break them down. There's a bit of gamesmanship and it's what you expect. You know, There's a bit of time-wasting and Nathan Jones is so that is one of the reasons, um, one of the contributing factors as to, to why they lost. It was just it was just one of those days where Luton couldn't quite get in their gear. Again, I'm going to mention the heat. Um, I do think that would have played a factor for Luton because they play a high pressing game, especially at home, high pressing in your face sort of action, um, and it, that would have been a difficult one for them to sustain. And they've got players who aren't quite match fit yet, so I just think they're just walking a bit slowly into the season before they hit a stride would be the best way uh, I can describe them. I completely disagree, Justin. They're creating chances. They've actually won the XG battle in all three games, clear by a clear margin so far. Um, so it's just a case of them not getting the rub of the green for me. 
as long as they keep playing the way they are, the results will come. We were talking about Blackburn earlier and how they've just been extraordinarily clinical. Luton have been the exact opposite of it, really. They've been the better team in terms of XG in every game they've had. It's just they can't find the back of net, which is a bit surprising, really, considering they've got Adebayo, Morris, Woodrow, all strikers who I easily see get, getting double figures in normal seasons. Um, so... They'll be fine, Luton. They, they, it is worth remembering as well. They started slowly last season. They only won two of their first nine and they ended up getting in the top six. So the results will come with Luton Town. Maybe it's just a case of they need to you know, start accelerating and get into top speed before they actually start getting you know, wins on the board. But we'll wait and see with that. In the Chris Wilder derby, it finished Middlesbrough 2, Sheffield United 2. The highlight of this game was Ryan Giles' own goal, which was disastrously bad, but also very funny. Uh, Middlesbrough's first goal, very nice team goal, very well worked before eventually finding the feet of Tuber Akpom, who scored two in this game. Duncan Watmore could have won all three points right at the end. Overall, I think both teams can be happy with what they saw here, Justin. Yeah, I think Sheffield United will be darted with the point. If you look at the amount of chances they created compared to Boroughs, um, yeah, they, they, they'll be quite happy with the point. Obviously disappointed that they, they went ahead twice and they were pegged back twice. Really nice really nice goal by Sander Bird, by the way. Um, and the same with the team goal from Middlesbrough. I think that's exactly what you'd expect from Middlesbrough this season. We've seen it with the Isaiah Jones goal um, on the opening day of the season, for example. Um, so, yeah, you, you'd argue that, yeah, both teams will be quite happy with the point. It was a good open game, good good attacking game. Shame it wasn't on Sky, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> but I, I can't help but think Middlesbrough at this point are probably conceding too many goals um, uh, uh, more than I, I would want them to at this stage I expect them to be a little bit more solid um, but again they, they haven't had the easiest of starts in terms of teams but at the same time they didn't concede too many chances here against Sheffield United Sheffield United just took their chances quite well um, so yeah it's, it's not much we can really take away other than it, it, a draw probably being a fair result uh, and a good point for each side yeah, the, the only thing I'd comment on there is the defence aspect of things. They have obviously been linked with getting a defender in. Jacob Greaves from Hull has been strongly linked and whether that happens before the window closes, I'm not too sure right now. Having said that, it's not the first choice back three, is it, mm. in an ideal world. I think they'd like to play McNair, Lenehan and Greaves as the... Uh, back three for Chris Wilder and only one of those was actually in that back three um, this this in this game so yeah I, I don't think you can really compensate for you know a, a freak moment from Ryan Giles booting the ball into the, the back of a net and a moment of brilliance from Sander Burgess so I won't be too worried really for Middlesbrough's defence I think it's just one of those where um, it, it'll get amended as a as yeah. time goes on. Millwall came from 2-0 down to beat Coventry 3-2. It's usually Coventry who are the comeback kings. Now they know how it feels. <laughs> That's one way of putting it, yeah. Um, I think from a Millwall perspective, they'll be delighted with the win, but I can't help but think Coventry just threw the game away. Um, I think firstly, Millwall will be really defended. They've conceded another goal from a set piece with, with Mick, Mick Fadzi and obviously Godin got the second. Um, and then they seemed to, to to grow in confidence as the, the game went on. But for Coventry, certainly a lot lessons to take, because I, I really do think 
Coventry gave them gave them the win. You look at that first goal that uh, Millwall scored, for example. Simon Moore coming as far out as he did um, was a bit of a, uh, a bit of a surprise. Probably about on the penalty spot by the time um, Jake Cooper got to it. So, yeah, certainly lessons to be learned from a from a Coventry perspective. But Millwall really good fight back. And as I say, probably another team I'm thinking probably conceding a bit too many a uh, few too many goals at the moment. Obviously. Th- the two two last week and the two this week um but a really really good fight back because this time last season they'd have drawn this game or even lost it so it shows that they've got a little bit something different about them um which is a really good trait to have for for them yeah george horniman was excellent here and it's been a solid start for the wall so far they've won two lost away at sheffield united which isn't a bad way to lose is it um so can't have any complaints so far for gary rowett they've still got zion fleming to come to the team as well he's been out with a knee injury so considering they spent so much money on him in the summer you'd have thought they're expecting him to be a key man this season so they will seemingly only get stronger in the coming weeks for coventry a lot of the talk right now is about the off the pitch issues or I suppose, on-pitch issues, literally, in this case. The pitch um, issues. Yeah, we'll talk about the latest with the pitch later on. But one thing I'm a bit worried about with Coventry, Justin, is if they have to play all of their games away for the next month or two, could it affect team morale if results aren't going their way? Because it's obviously more difficult away from home, isn't it? Huddersfield got their first win of the season, beating Stoke 3-1. This is more like it from Huddersfield, isn't it? Worth mentioning Stoke missed a penalty in the 21st minute. If they scored it, might have been a different game. But Jack Radoni had a good one. Yuta Nakayama, good too. Just wanted to wedge in his name there so I could actually say it out loud because it's just so nice to say. Huddersfield, they've got a good side, haven't they? It's just about whether Danny Schofield can get the best out of it. The first couple of games were very poor, but this was good. Yeah, they created a good amount of chances. And what you expect with Huddersfield as well is they create more chances from set pieces, but actually from open play, they were very, very effective and they made Stoke look very ordinary. Um, they they enjoyed the, the, the spells in possession um, and they weren't pegged back to early, early in, the, in the first half. Their first half performances are, are what have really let them down. They've set the standard for the last three games, including the League Cup game in midweek. Um, so it's a really good reaction for them to, to, to bounce back and put this performance in. How good Stoke were is, is another question, but you've got to play the opposition you, you're faced with, and Huddersfield did that very, very well. And I thought, as you say, yeah, if if if, if Schofield can find his best team quickly, um, that will make it a lot easier for him going forwards. Jordan Rhodes has now scored 200 league goals, which is a mind-blowing tally, really, isn't it? I think I heard as well that he's the second-highest-scoring active player in the Football League right now, which is quite impressive too, isn't it? Stoke missed some good chances in the first half as well as the penalty. Second half, though, they weren't much of a threat at all. It's, it, is a, it is a bit worrying at times, isn't it? Because Dwight Gale's really struggled so far. He's only had three shots in three games. I mean, we're talking about teaming Pukki earlier. We're talking about one of the best finishers the championship has ever seen he's just not Mm. getting any sights of goal I suppose it could have been a different game if Baker scores the penalty but they didn't and that's that final thing on this game I want to apologize to Jacob Brown someone let me know on Twitter I didn't write down their name I apologize but they messaged us to say that I've been calling him Josh Brown over the past few weeks apparently I I don't know if I have or not but I can only apologize Jacob I don't know where that's come from I (laughs) very strange um Swansea are off the mark for wins they won 1-0 away at Blackpool thanks to a late goal from Olivier and Cham. This game featured one of the worst penalty decisions I've ever mm. seen. Blackpool were awarded one in the second half. It was missed, so it didn't mean anything. But 
Honestly, it's embarrassingly bad, Justin. Kenny Dougal goes down. No one near him. Harry Darling sticks out a leg, but he's a good foot away yeah. from making any contact. So anyone who's not seen it, I'm telling you now, it's appalling. Thank God it didn't result in anything. But the fact it was given in the first place is absolutely shameful. So I suppose if, if it was scored, then everyone would be up in arms and yeah. the referee may have been demoted. But because it wasn't scored, it may go amiss. But Really, if mm. you're giving that as a penalty, then... He's looking right at it as well. Exactly. You've got to have a good word with yourself after giving that as a decision. Um, but it's good for Swansea to get off the mark. And the only thing I'd say is some of the problems from the first two games were still evident here. The goal came from a counter-attack, which was a bit fortunate in the way that it bounced to, I think it was Obafemi. Yeah. Otherwise, with Swansea, it's a lot of possession not being converted into chances. They're averaging 69% possession, Justin. The most in the division, quite easily. But they've got the second lowest expected goals in the division. It's the lack of creativity for me. It's gone from a slight problem to a massive, massive concern and needs to be addressed in the window. But I don't think Swansea can get players in because I think they need to get players out before they can get players in. So... Mm. It's worrying that they're dominating games so much in terms of possession, but just doing very little with the ball. They're all cordial and no water, aren't they? Sorry, no, they're all water and no cordial. Very, yeah. very heavily diluted uh, yeah, glass of glass of juice there. Um, you'd be a pretty spot on. I'd you know, try to spin it in an unserious way, but um, the point still stands that the, you know, there are the issues that they are still there. It did take them a while to get going last season, but. I think we were all hoping that they were able to kick on quite quickly. Now, Russ Martin had a full pre-season with the players. I think the only thing you can add into that is have they got the squad balance they need? You know, the wing-backs area, wing-back areas, are they in the shape that they, that Russell Martin needs them to be? No, uh, is a simple answer to that. Um, and I think that goes a long way. I still think they're a defender short as well, centre-half short as well, for, from, from my opinion. Um, so, yeah, I think those issues will still carry on until they can start to bring those players in because you look at the wing-backs are available at the moment. It's pretty scarce. So if they don't get those players in, I do worry. Not in a sense that they'll get dragged into a relegation battle, but the aspirations of finishing the top half playoffs will go away, I think. Yeah, I, I can't disagree. A Jaden Philogene goal gave Cardiff a 1-0 win over Birmingham. Fairly straightforward in the end for Coventry, wasn't it? Coventry, Cardiff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It was um, a really, really good performance. I think that, that has to be praised. Um, uh, I was really impressed with some of the passages of play from from Cardiff. Um, Callum O'Dowder, by the way, I think if you you look at the amount of signings that Cardiff made, Callum O'Dowder is probably the one that raised more question marks. I thought he'd just be a squad player, but actually the first three games he's been their best attacking player. Jamilo Collins as well has been absolutely superb. That goal-saving tackle on Scott Hogan midway through the first half could have been a game-changer, you know, Birmingham City score that could could swing the game in their way so absolutely outstanding tackle from from him and um, we saw a lot of what Steve Morrison wants to do with that Cardiff team um, I think the only criticism you have is they had a lot of chances didn't take them does raise questions as to whether or not they do need that experienced front man but don't ask Steve Morrison that yeah it was a good win for Cardiff Callum O'Dowder was fantastic um, Collins as you say was really really good as well he's looked a really good signing Birmingham were very poor and 
possibly should have had a penalty, but don't let it take away from Cardiff, who were clearly the better side in this game. The only criticism I'd have is about the striker situation, because Max Waters was really poor here. Missed a good chance in the first half and just lost the ball so often. Every time it got fed into him, he just couldn't hold it up and they just conceded possession. So I think he needs dropping. The issue is... Cardiff aren't flushed with options, are they? They've got Kian Atete, but Morrison has said he sees him as a long-term prospect as opposed to someone who is going to come in now and score goals on the regular. So I'd be worried if they don't sign another striker before the transfer window closes because I don't think they can proceed with Waters as first choice, unfortunately, or any of the other strikers really as the first choice, I don't think. So... Yeah, that'd be a concern for Cardiff, but don't let that take away from what was a very professional and sturdy win for them. Prior to this game, Birmingham were the team who probably surpassed my expectations the most from the first couple of games, but they were shocking here, weren't they, Justin? Yeah, I guess an apology to Birmingham fans for cursing them because they were one of the teams that I that I said had impressed me the most in the first three games, or the first, first couple of games, just to say. Um, but you're quite right, really, really poor. Defensively, they were a shambles. Um, I was watching the game and I was absolutely astounded at how much space was between the back three. I think it was a chance that Max Waters was played through and he, and he side-footed it straight into John Ruddy. Um, the space between Sanderson and Roberts. Sanderson was basically playing a full-back. Roberts was too close to Trusty. Left this mountainous gap for what is to just pick up the ball and run through with it was um it was criminal at times and well, well justin on that point as well the goal came from a massive gap yeah. between Plahetta and trusty yeah. and that that happened so many times the ball was mm. just played in that channel and nobody seemed to do anything about it and that's where the goal came from yeah and and this is what worries me about this birmingham team other than the likes of trusty and Plahetta, it's pretty much the same team I know Sanderson was there as well last last season but it's 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 almost the same team and then you take um, take an experienced midfielder out like like Ryan Woods out of that midfield they get weaker um, so the next game will, will give us a bit more indication as to how they bounce back from this defeat because although it was only 1-0 could have easily been 4 or 5 and I know they had the penalty shout but there's there's no exaggeration here Cardiff had to shoot in boots they'd have won 4 or 5 nil. Absolutely, and you haven't even mentioned the fact they were awful going forward. Just didn't manage a shot on target, offered basically nothing apart from that penalty shout, which was a bit dubious. But yeah, Birmingham were really, really poor. And finally, Wigan won, Bristol City won. <laughs> I will be honest, when I made my notes for the show, I completely forgot about this game. The only thing of note, really, is that it's just another game where Bristol City have thrown away a lead. Yep, that's uh, nine points. <laughs> nine points already this season. And I laugh, but it's a, an exasperated laugh. It's frustrating. It's the same same old issues. I know it's not quite as... They didn't concede quite as many goals as they usually do in this fashion, but it's still still frustrating because Bristol City get themselves into good positions and it's the old groin punch once again from from them. Um, I think one positive we'll take is Mark Sykes, who's a very tidy player in possession in that Bristol City midfield. Um, and Wigan deserve uh, a fair bit of praise again. They fought back, worked hard, deserved something from the game, probably a little bit more. Um, and they'll take that really solid start from the Latics. Absolutely. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and we'll begin with transfers as usual. Just a reminder, these are only the confirmed deals. Emmanuel Dennis has left Watford. He's moved to Forest for a reported £20 million. He was really excited, wasn't he, in the first couple of games in a Watford shirt, but it was always going to be a struggle for a championship side to keep hold of a striker who scored double figures in the Premier League last season, wasn't it? 
Yeah, pretty furious about this. Not because he's he's left. Well, I know. Yeah, yeah. Pretty. I wanted to see him for the full season in Championship. I thought, I thought that we deserved that opportunity to see a fit and firing Emmanuel Dennis just take the piss. Um, I was really excited about it. Um, but you're quite right. It was yeah. Watford were up against it, and as a neutral Championship fan, we were up against it, keeping him in this division. Um, it's gone to Forest. Might see him again next season. <laughs> <Don't know. laughs> well, they've done all right on this Sunday afternoon, haven't they? I very much enjoyed that Forrest unveiled the signing in Rock City in Nottingham. Anyone who's been on a night out in Nottingham will know about Rock City and its very sticky floors. Uh, Watford have brought in Villa striker Keenan Davis on loan. He's seen as a replacement for Emmanuel Dennis. He was great at Forrest, wasn't he, last season? Justin, I think this is a good signing. I think it's a very good signing. I'm again really disappointed that he's not got a chance at Aston Villa, um, and I'm surprised Forrest haven't decided to to, to go for him either, um, because I thought with his performances last season showed that he he could um, he could cut it in the Premier League. But really, really good signing for Watford. He's 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 the perfect number nine, um, and he will really bring a lot of balance to that forward line. Because you think how effective you know, five goals in 15 games, I think for Forrest last season picked up an injury as well, um, but Forrest didn't really get really good until he came into that team um, so I'm really really intrigued to see how or what Edwards can do with him because presumably he'll be part of a two and Chao Pedro behind him Hoo-hoo. that's going to mm. be nice that'll be very nice Watford have also signed Leicester midfielder Hamza Chowdhury on loan really good signing this Justin in two of the games I've seen so far of Watford they've lost the midfield battle and having a player as talented as Chowdhury in midfield will help amend that and so this makes perfect sense from my perspective. Alex Mowritz has moved on loan to Middlesbrough from West Brom for the season. I mean, what a signing this is, Justin. Well, we love him, don't we? You know, we we, we were an Alex Mowritz podcast for uh, about eighteen months until until we moved on to somebody else. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really good signing for Middlesbrough. Um, left foot. There aren't too many better in the division. Maybe if there are any better in the division, I'd like to like to see you come up and try. But um, I think under Chris Wilder, that John Fleck role at Sheffield United, where he's just in and around that middle third, take, ticking over possession and obviously from set pieces as well. Yeah, he'll be a very dangerous player. Brings it something different to that midfield as well, which again will be really, really important for Borough over the course of the season. He's got the best left foot in the championship, Justin. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, I can't think of anyone who's got a better left foot than him. But Borough needed a replacement for Tavernier. He's a different player to Tavernier, but will give them so much going forwards because he's a beautiful passer of the ball and has a great eye for goal too. Um, and Middlesbrough needed that. They needed someone who can give them a bit more um, oomph in midfield and that's what Alex Mowat brings. I'm surprised West Brom have let him go, being completely honest. I'm, I know he hasn't been as good as I thought he was going to be at West Brom, but still, to let him go to a promotion rival, it's, rival. it's, it's, remi- it's reminding me a bit of Spence from Middlesbrough to Forest last <laughs> season. Like, why have you done that? And then it goes on to be um, even weirder as the season goes on when he ends up being one of the best players in the division. So I'm getting that kind of sense with Alex Mauer going to Middlesbrough here because he's just a phenomenal player. We saw that with Barnsley. Wasn't 100% at West Brom, but playing in a Chris Wilder team you'd have thought he'd be orchestrating things in the middle of the park Middlesbrough have also brought in American striker Matthew Hoppy from Real Mallorca he's only 21 scored six goals for Schalke a couple of seasons ago but then moved to Mallorca for three million where he's barely played an interesting one Justin yeah I can't say I know too much about him so it'll be interesting to see how he progresses and I think the, the thing that surprises me about this signing is it almost feels like one for the future 
with him having an impact this season. Because obviously, if you spend the money that they have on him, um, and at the age of twenty-one, with not the best goal record, um, yeah, probably probably one to look forward to, to for the future. But at the same time, Middlesbrough need goals now, um, so it'll be interesting to see how he fits into that. He might take the the league by storm. He might take a little bit of time to adapt. But if he's you know, if he's played for a Bundesliga team, I think it'll be much easier for him because he'll be used to you know a similar uh, environment. Um, uh, over in the championship well that's the idea with this signing that it didn't work out for him in Spain but it's thought that he will be better suited to English football so I'm interested to see how he does I think Middlesbrough will probably want to get another striker through the door as well um, but it gives them options because they certainly needed options in that front line didn't they speaking of striking options Uchi Ikpiezu has left Borough to go to Konya Sport in Turkey Burnley have loaned in Southampton winger Nathan Teller best bit about this signing is the brilliant announcement <laughs> video by Burnley, which was so wonderfully random during a parody of the Generation game, but I'm all here for it. Ashley Fletcher has joined Wigan on loan from Watford. I like this one, Justin. Ashley Fletcher, he's always been one of those strikers, anti who hasn't really found a home. His career so far hasn't worked out the way a lot of people thought it would, because we have got to remember he was very highly rated when he was at Man U. West Ham spent a load of money on him. Middlesbrough spent a load of money on him. But it wouldn't surprise me to see him going to Wigan and scoring 15-plus goals. I mean, look at Will Keane, for example. Hmm. Will Keane, was, his record prior to moving to Wigan was pretty rubbish. Um, and he was one who was very highly thought of. The same thing could happen with Ashley Fletcher. And I think those two playing up top together could work really nicely. Yeah, spot on. It's a, it's a very physical front line now as well. I know McGuinness is there, but Fletcher... Adds that physicality as well as that composure in front of goal. And I think the frustrating thing about Ashley Fletcher is whenever he's got going, he's picked up an injury, um, which is really, really made the way he struggled um to, to overcome those injuries. Um his sign, you know, his, his move to Watford was a bit of a weird one. It would have been good to see him sign for a championship club, but you know, that's not the case. He's at Wigan now and he's he's gonna get a good opportunity to score goals. And again, I'll be surprised if I mean if he reaches eight or nine goals this season in that Wigan team, it'll be a very successful side because they'll do things a little bit differently and they just need a that focal point who's going to be clinical because McGuinness is a handful but not clinical. I think it is if he doesn't get it here, if this isn't his moment where he comes good then that might just be it for Ashley Fletcher as being the player that many people hoped that he would be but we'll have to wait and see won't we Millwall have signed German striker Andreas Vogelsammer from Union Berlin only managed four goals in his last two seasons in the Bundesliga but has a decent record in the German second division Huddersfield have brought in Villa right wing back Kane Kessler Hayden on loan played at the weekend looked quite impressive and Richard Keogh has left Blackpool to go to Ipswich goodbye sweet prince and finally Coventry's second league game at home has already been postponed they were meant to play Wigan on Tuesday night but because of the awful state of the pitch it's been called off already any comment from you Justin? Just disappointing. Um, again, feel for the supporters who don't get to go and see their team at home. Coventry fans have been running around the country, having to go to Birmingham and Northampton to watch their team. So I think they've been, uh, I think they've been really let down by both the EFL and um, and their hierarchy. Because as I say, they don't own the pitch, uh, they don't own the ground, so they're at the the mercy of the tenants. Um, the tenants haven't kept their facilities in professional. 
uh, to a professional standard um, and now they are suffering for it. Um, so from a hierarchy point of view, they should have had a contingency plan. EFL should also allow them to at least play games away from home, which I think um, they haven't allowed uh, so far. Um, and I hope that is that is um, changed because, as I say, it's it's the fans that are suffering at the minute. What would be the contingency plan, though, Justin? Uh, either playing games. Obviously, the League Cup game was played at Burton. Um, there are the Solihull that's local, but um, just as the, well as that. But playing games away from home as well. They they shouldn't have to be playing at other grounds. It's a disadvantage to them, isn't it? Because well, exactly. If if for example they're back at the CBS Arena in a month's time, then. Sure, it's going to be a backlog getting in all those games. It's going to be tiring for them, but at least they're in their home crowd and they'll have, you know, the home support. If they go playing Burton again, then they're going to suffer. Yeah, but they're going to be at a disadvantage anyway because they're going to have this backlog of games. Rotherham, really good example of what a backlog of games can do. How many games do they have um, in the 2021 season towards the end of that in, Yeah, That, that was campaign. an extreme they're... example, though. Yeah, it? exactly. Coventry won't but... get that bad. Well, how long is it going to take to get this pitch in working order? They're already two games behind. And we've got a World Cup we need to squeeze in as well, which makes the season even smaller. We're playing more games now between August um, and November than we have done in previous seasons. So a lot of games to squeeze into a very small period of time and Coventry are going to suffer either way. So the lesser of the two evils is to move them to a different ground temporarily until that pitch is in working order. That's just my point of view and my opinion might be wrong. Feel free to agree or disagree. I think you're very wrong because I just don't see why Coventry would want to do that because it'll cost him. Um, meanwhile, the Telegraph reports Coventry could take legal action against Wasps. So it sounds like it could be getting nasty very quickly. Uh, Justin, let's do the polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on all things to do with the championship. This is interesting. Which goal was better, Brad Potts v Luton or Ishmael Asar v West Brom? If Brad Potts is at 95%, I will kick off. Fifty-two percent of people said Brad Potts. Forty-eight percent said Ishmael Assar. Just enough. No, 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 I no, think no. You, you've switched tones on that Ishmael Assar very quickly. It's a beautiful <laughs> goal, and now you're acting like it was a tapping. It was a tapping. It was a long-range tapping. They, they, they it's a thing. Um, I was now fifty-two percent. Watford fans have hijacked that. I this this needs to go to a higher power. This is ridiculous. Sorry. Why can't we just enjoy them both, is what I'm trying to say. I'd go for Brad Potts, personally. I think that's just an extraordinary goal. Um, next one, will Blackburn finish in the top six this season, yes or no? I don't think they will. No, I'm pretty confident that they won't at the moment. They could very well surprise me over the next few months, but I think it is just a very good start. Uh 61% of people said no, 39% said yes. And finally, what's, what is the best food to have at the football, burger or pie? Uh, I've never bought food at football, so I don't know. It's because you're always late to games. Um, 47% of people said burger, 53% of people said pie. Depends what mood I'm in. Right now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge.
Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show, Ann Watson from Roker Report. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say name the eight biggest stadiums in the championship and Justin would say the Stadium of Light, that's one down. And Ant would say the Riverside, that's another down. But if Justin would say Kenilworth Road, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. Because there's only two of you, we were meant to have Mike joining us today. I'll give you an extra life um, to have a have a crack at the following question which is all about Kasper Smeichel who has recently left Leicester after 11 years to go to Nice bit of a championship legend of course so let's honour the great Dane can you name for me the last eight clubs Kasper Smeichel has made an appearance for one thing to mention we're not including Nice on this because when I made this list he hadn't played for them yet so we shall kick things off with Ant can you name one of Kasper Schmeichel's last eight clubs. I'm, I'm going to leave the easy ones to last. I'll, I'll, I'll throw Notts County out there, first of all. Absolutely. Notts County had one season. There always was a bit of a strange move, but that was his <laughs> third most recent club. So you've got one, Justin Yorgo. Considering he's been at Leicester for 10 years, this is a this is a cheeky one from you, Ryan. Um, he had Simon a spell Grayson, at, It is, it's Simon Grayson. Um, uh, he had a spell at Leeds. He absolutely did. He had just one season at Allen Road on a permanent basis. So you've got two so far, six to go. And your go again. Oh, I might have to play the Leicester card here. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, because Leeds was my, my other one. Uh, crikey. I remember Sunderland players either Coventry or Cardiff, and I know he played then. I think it was Coventry. I'll go Coventry. I think he would play Coventry. You're absolutely right. You made nine appearances on loan in 2008. So you've got three so far, Justin Yorgo? I, I think he had a spell at Cardiff as well. I'll go Cardiff. Yeah, you're right. 14 appearances on loan in 2007. So you're halfway through. One of them is a bit of a tap-in as well. So, Ant, are you going to take that tap-in? I might have to, Justin, I'm afraid. Yeah, we'll have to go Leicester, I'm afraid. Sorry. <laughs> yep, spot on. 11 years there. And it was a fairly successful spell, wasn't it? Um, you've got three remaining then, chaps. Justin, you're going? So you said his car, uh, Cardiff spell was uh, 2007. Um, I remember him making his debut for Manchester City against Derby in our disastrous season in the Premier League. So I think Man yeah. City will sneak in there. Yep, made 10 appearances at the Etihad. He was first choice for a very brief moment in the noughties. So you've got six, two remaining, and I'm not surprised you've left these two to the end, boys. Still got an extra life, though. One, Ant, what do you think? I've just remembered one because it's a team who are quite close to me, and that's Darlington. He did play for Darlington. But that was his very first loan spell, and he's played for eight different clubs since then. Oh, so that's not one of them, unfortunately. But <laughs> you have still got an extra life, Ants. So, Justin, you've got two remaining. Can you name either of them? Oh, Darlington was the next one. It's a great shout as well. Um, it's a good shout, to be fair. We're in, uh, we're, we're grasping here. Um, oh, yeah, I, mean, I want to say Preston. He didn't play for mm. Preston. Um, so Justin is out. That means it's Ant with the last throw of the dice. You've got two remaining, Ant. No, no I really don't know. Uh, I know he was up in Scotland, but I, I really have not got a clue what team it was. 
throw uh, one out there. It was, it was an F. Wasn't it? it was fat. He's fat. No, that's a, the only time I know with an F is Falkirk. We'll go Falkirk. Guess Falkirk. Total guess. 15 appearances on loan in 2007. <laughs> that is oh, what a wow. shout that is. That is unbelievable. You know, he went to a team beginning with an F in Scotland. That's the only one I can think of. Four far on Falkirk, wasn't it? You've got um, one remaining then, Ant. Can you name the final no. quarterback? <laughs> no. Okay. No, definitely not. Um, I don't know. We'll say, we'll say Mansfield as a total guess. It wasn't Mansfield. The club you were looking for, he made 29 appearances over two loan spells, was Berry. Yeah. Oh, well, they're not club anymore, so that doesn't count. Give us Darling. <laughs> <laughs> Rest in peace, Barry. Um, but there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Simon Grayson's hateful eight. Once again, has won. Simon Grayson's won for three weeks on the trot now. We haven't had a winner yet this season. So Simon Grayson is loving life at the moment. But, and your first go at Simon Grayson's hateful eight, what did you think? Uh, well, it's probably more wins that he ever got at Tumland, so fair play to Simon Grayson's hateful eight. Um, as I said to you before, guys, I'll come up with a cold sweat whenever anyone mentions the word Simon Grayson. So um, fair play. But yeah, it was it was a good a good question. I mean, how like a guy who's been in League One for five years and two championship fans uh, you know know a lot about Casper Schmeier, but never mind, we were one off. We'll get there. One off. <laughs> it, it was a good effort to be fair. To pull, to pull to pull full Kirk out of nowhere was amazing that was one of the best shouts i think we've ever had but so close but no cigar unfortunately but there we go this has been the second tier podcast we'll be back again on thursday to go through all the midweek games we have got midweek games haven't we yeah we have so we'll be back on thursday to talk about all those games and all the news that's happened in the championship over the next few days quick thank you to our guest on the show this week it's ant watson from the sunderland podcast the roker report thank you for your time ant yeah cheers thanks for having us guys cheers this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And thank you for listening. <laughs>